0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. It's a new year on the podcast, and I'd like to introduce you to some changes that we're making to the show. We're excited to introduce our partnership program. This will allow us to showcase more of the leaders, innovators, and organizations who are at the forefront of the economic transformation happening in our city and our province. Take a few minutes and be curious. Visit their websites, check them out on social media, and most importantly, get involved where you can. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks, I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010, and it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here to today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built the strategy, we built the brand, we built the website and they helped me execute and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show. Something we're really proud of and I couldn't have done it without the Clear Motive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your Get your creative in market and get connected with your customers. Give us a call and let's have a good old fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. A warm Collisions YYC welcome with Mr. Scott Gravel. How are you, Scott? I am great, sir. How are you? I am really good. It's uh, this is going to air in the new year, but it's uh, we're just I think we're a week into the second tier of our lockdown, rolling into Christmas. So uh, interesting days, and it's amazing what uh, how much you can get accomplished when you're kind of literally chained to your own house a little
1: bit. Yes, um, the the mastery of new skill sets have been incredible. Um, like I've never done this many dishes, I don't think before in my life. Um, I, I, I'm a better cook than it was before
0: nice mm-hmm.
1: um, but I don't cook enough so I'm also 15 pounds lighter than I was before um, which isn't isn't because of any you know great exercise regime it's just I'm too damn lazy to cook um yeah it's it's a it's a new world it's a different world and and I'm 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 looking forward to it changing into something different yet again.
0: Yes, which, which, which it, this still shall pass, as, as they say. What it will look like, you know, I don't know. I think it's an interesting way to segue in. You are the CEO and CTO of Adabotics, which again, a Calgary success story, lots of great track in the news. But at the same time, part of the show is to expose Calgarians to maybe things or certainly things they may be heard about, but maybe they don't know about. So let's open up as we talk about the world changing and the role you guys are playing in that. Let's, uh, let's give, give us your quick little down and dirty about adabotics and we'll level the playing field for everybody listening and then we'll get into it. Well-
1: First, let's take everybody's current situation, because unless you can relate it to your own life, it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, we're sitting here, you know, meeting virtually because we're locked down in our houses, trying to keep our neighbors safe and ourselves safe as as we move through kind of one of the most challenging times, certainly in our lifetime. Um, but due to that, I will, I will almost guarantee that each and every one of your listeners has increased their online shopping dramatically uh, because of this. So, uh, you know, global pandemic wasn't part of our plan, um, but it certainly validates what we're doing. We, we developed, you know, the world's first 3D robotics platform to automate the, the order processing, warehousing um, of modern commerce. And when I say modern commerce, the way we shop has changed. That was the first step. Everyone got their, you know, their website so we could buy online. Um, but the back end of that is going through a massive transformation now. Um, supply chains were never designed to send you the 2.6 unique items that typically gets, gets ordered and delivered to you. Um, so there's been a Herculean effort by, by retailers to figure out how to keep you as their customer. We all know how easy it is to go to some of those companies that were, you know, designed from the ground up, digitally native, you know, retailers. Um, But everybody else needed a technology partner to figure out how to better serve you, the customer. So we started either bravely or naively uh, with a blank sheet of paper thinking that we were going to solve all the problems. Um, We solved a few, created a few more, Um, still in the process of debugging those. But what we did is we created an automation technology designed for each item, single items, not cases of T-shirts, but one T-shirt, not cases of shoes, but one pair of shoes and made it so we can get the T-shirts, the shoes, and I don't know, um, your, your sourdough bread kit. Yeah, you know that, that's, or, that, that's or, accurate. Uh, yeah, no, guys, I got it. Guys like you and I, you know, your your beard, your beard growing, kid. <laughs> you know, the, the commonalities of COVID, <laughs> which, um,
0: which was an order I made very early in COVID. So, 100%, yeah,
1: 100%. yeah. So, but we need to get those three unique things in a box or and get it to you, and we need to do it more cost effectively because e-commerce doesn't make a lot of companies a lot of money. And it's a very expensive way to service their customers. And that's because the supply chains that were there didn't support that behavior. So we, we had a fresh set of eyes and decided to start with a blank sheet of paper and developed um, the world's first 3d 3D robotics platform designed to not only store and retrieve the items you need, but sort them, sequence them, buffer them. Um, So one stop, one, one person or one one station can do the pick, the pack and the ship needed to get your stuff to you. And in doing so, you know, we, we did it in a much smaller footprint, which means now we can put that technology in market, in community, which means that the, the lion's share of cost, both financially, time and environmentally is, is the transportation of these goods. So by pre-deploying inventory in market, our vision is we can lower the time, the cost, and the and the, and the carbon footprint of modern commerce. And, but we, I'd like to say this was original. Um, but if if leafcutter ants had had a copy copyright lawyer, <coughs> we'd we'd be in trouble.
0: You'd, you'd have a whole gang showing up to you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, see, I see them as a team carrying in the subpoena to, take, to, to, yeah, to, we, to call you to court. We, we totally ripped them off. Like,
1: totally ripped them off. Um, did, did you know that if you take all of the ants on the planet and put them on one side of a scale, and all the human beings on the planet and put them on the other side of a scale, seven and a half billion of us, ants would outweigh us? <laughs> um, they are such a successful natural system. I, and I, I mean, that's sure. a plot
0: line for a sci-fi movie, but or probably, oh, yeah. I, probably I don't
1: I don't my body weight and ants. Yeah. They're <laughs> their copyright attorneys.
0: Um, so,
1: you know, there's such an efi- efficient, system that we barely know that they're, that they're here and kind of emulating that in a digital platform and a mechatronics platform. Um, we're learning every day about how smart a bunch of, you know, simple, simple little beings with a simple sets of rules of interaction can create such complex behaviors and efficiencies. And we're just exploring how to continue to rip them off as blatantly as we can to create value, um, you know, in what is a a new world.
0: So interesting. I love, I love how looking at natural systems and looking at nature and what's around us. And I think the real comment that I heard, you know, the three dimensional and thinking about that, but the concept of like they exist in this massive scale in terms of volume around us, but we don't even see them. So you're thinking about integration into the communities. There's ants everywhere, but you know, unless they happen to be infesting your kitchen, you kind of really pay them no, never mind. And they're able to exist and lead this complex life. Very simply, in your backyard, and you don't even know that they're there. That's an interesting paradigm when you talk about localizing this huge logistics infrastructure beast that's there to serve to serve our whims as needy as needy online shoppers.
1: Yeah, and, and that idea of localization is it has to be paired with distributed you know, a distributed ecosystem. Um, it doesn't make sense to have a thousand pairs of shoes in one place. It makes sense to have two or three of those pairs of shoes in every place. And um, so this isn't just an automation problem. This is a data science, AI network coordination um, issue that goes well beyond, well beyond just a cool a cool robot in a warehouse
0: yeah because I'm picturing you guys because you guys I think you guys, you guys are about five years so you kind of came into the market yeah. when the, when yeah. the- and this is a hardware play, but also a, a deep software. Like you said, this is a whole like a, a big a, a dumb robot sitting in a, in, a, in a room still needs all of the thinking around it to allow it to function. So I'm just thinking like some of those terms seem commonplace now. We talk about AI and ML and deep learning and like it's like it's just just tailors the table stakes for conversation. But five years ago, it certainly wasn't in the mainstream level of chit chat that you see now. Oh,
1: and it wasn't on our roadmap at all. Uh, we, you know, we, we were developing a hardware platform thinking that there was somebody out there that would want it and to take it to market. Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of validation that our team was moving faster than any of the big guys could. Um, lots of interest early on from, you know, investment from the industry. Um, but we didn't want to, yeah. excuse my French, we didn't want to be anybody's bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we were lucky enough to find some, you know, incredible thought leadership in some other organizations that wanted to partner with us to, to take what was an idea and, and bring it to life. And um, it's been a fun journey. You know, um, developing commercialized 3D robotics technology is very fascinating because there's lots of things you can kind of manage, but gravity is not one of them. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, go so on. <laughs> there's been been some interesting learnings there, um, but we we started out just wanting to you know you know had a, we we had a better mousetrap, and but as we got deeper and deeper into the problem, we we saw how building on on what we realize we have now, and, and when you go back to all these catchphrases, you know catchphrases of any new company is. You know, AI, ML, cloud, big data, 5G, you know, IoT, you know, cloud at the edge, you know, all of this. Um <laughs> no, so it's, let's a, throw in it's a bit of a buzzword. it's a buzzword bingo right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's throw in blockchain. Trusted ledger, yeah. and just
0: let's just irre- irre- Irrevo- irrevocable.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's just throw in titanium because that was a catchphrase for everything a little while back. We might as well throw that one in too. Um,
0: I, I kind of miss titanium. To be honest, I like that one actually. that's still that feels like something I can touch. but the other ones are a little bit uh, amorphous.
1: <laughs> yeah, you could get your Ford F one hundred and fifty Titanium Edition. I don't think right. there was any titanium in that thing. <laughs> you could get titanium- uh, mar- mar- marketing,
0: marketing strikes again.
1: <laughs> yeah, titanium in your razor blades, and I'm pretty sure there was no titanium even in your razor blades, but um, so what we've discovered is we we are the platform, the applied platform, the real physical now opportunity to put and merge all of these technology enhancements and opportunities together into something meaningful. So we've been lucky enough to get some great partners in reimagining the future. Now, Adobotics will never be a cloud company, but we need a cloud partner. We'll never be a private LTE, private network company, but we we need that partner. Um, And by, by having an applied platform, we've got a great deal of support now from a lot of great partners to actually realize the future. But what it took was someone... Naive or brave enough, we'll use that terminology again, to envision that future and start herding the cats together to create it. So that's where we are now. And, you know, we're working, you know, in Canada with, you know, the, you know, the biggest Canadian retailers, with the the federal government on AI initiatives, um, with, Carriers here in Canada, like we have Canada's first private LTE installation Um, because the future is uh, a transparent, a timely, and a trusted infrastructure um, for the movement of, of goods. And a big part of that is capturing the data, sharing it, being transparent, and so being trusted. But then using every opportunity to optimize that network, which means the collection and sharing of information in near real time. And then the processing of that information, both at the edge and in the cloud. And that's what we're well into right now. Not just cool little robots that look like confused lawnmowers that climb around in a set of monkey bars, but envisioning what an entire countrywide or worldwide network um, for for modern commerce supply chain could and should look like.
0: It's such an interesting to hear you talk about the way to actualize all of those. You know, I won't repeat your buzzword bingo. I thought you I thought you nailed it, even with you know. With-
1: I feel ashamed actually bringing it up, but it's 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 true. It's yeah. it's what we're working on. I like
0: that. Well, hey, you're you're a skateboard guy, and you, you and I look like we're from a similar vintage. Remember when they used to put the word turbo on everything? Everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was kind of similar as you, when you were you're saying titanium. I think they still they still do because they, they still do. do.
1: Buy an electric Porsche that has the name Turbo in its name. Uh,
0: Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Two seconds of mechanical awareness. You're like, that is not even the thing. (laughs) So when you think about you guys being kind of the, like you guys are hardware and a lot of the things you talk to are a little bit more like, again, the, the hardware versus software. We pivoting back a little bit to, I got a million questions here, but the tech ecosystem in Calgary five years ago and even now and how it's transitioned and the startup ecosystem, which maybe wasn't even really a thing, and I'm not, not criticizing anyone who was in it five years ago, mainly you guys, but it's become a lot more of a thing. But also I hear from so many companies that if you've got hardware in your in your makeup investors stay away. Like it's, Ooh, I don't know about this hardware thing, much more interested in software, but to hear you talk about all of these other emerging technologies, but you guys being able to come into the center of that and bring it together with something physical that actually interacts with the the real world. That's an interesting paradigm. So curious as, as on your journey, has there been an obstacle being hardware driven first? Did that, was that harder for you guys to navigate or just, you believed it. So you did it.
1: <laughs> well, I had nothing to compare it to. Um, oh. I heard a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people talking about how they they don't invest in hardware. Now, I am not part, we haven't really been part of any tech ecosystem. So that's the first thing I'll say, um, tried early on to be part of a tech ecosystem and it was a brutal failure. Um, so antibiotics started because I spent two years trying to find a reason not to do it because it scared the shit out of me. So I went looking for the reason not to do it. And, and I just wouldn't let one of those be that I was, was too afraid. There had to be a real reason.
0: Had I, I, yeah, not not technically a, a hallucinated reason, <laughs> which yeah. also maybe self protection and fear they do go well together. It's not all bad. <laughs> as,
1: no, as it's not, not. And I've learned I've learned some incredibly kind of counterintuitive lessons through this that I love to share with, with you know younger people, and it explodes their mind. I'll share them with you too after. Well, I
0: yeah, tell we'll you. Throw, yeah, yeah. Throw them out there. The, um, this is the platform. Mm.
1: No one, no one wanted to really invest in hardware. Um, Canadian investors are some of the biggest challenges for, for Canadian startups. I don't know why, but we tend to devalue our own ideas more so than anybody else. Um, So finding the funding without giving away a huge part of the business was, was a huge challenge. Um because the way you mitigate risk is through low valuations. Uh, so we've been very fortunate. And this morning I was on on a call, uh a virtual news conference or and where we announced that the strategic strategic innovation fund sorry, we announced that the strategic innovation fund um gave us a bunch of support. <clears throat> now we've we've seen support locally. The OSIF grant, provincially, federally, and not just with shred credits, but there's, there's, there's a keen desire in Canada to keep the IP and the talent here. Um, and the only way that it was viable here was to offset the, devalu- uh, the, the valuation kind of gap given to us by early stage investors with what we could have gotten in other markets and pair that with some of the government funding opportunities. So
0: okay, that's, that's I've never heard it broken out that formula. So to offset the fact that those Canadian investors are going to devalue to de-risk, but then the government was able to fill in the gap, which was fundamentally what allowed you guys to function without having to go, I'll be blunt, probably south of the border. The um,
1: start out of robotics would have been Boston. Yeah. We'll yeah. Um, so there's this, there's this valuation gap that happens that I've seen with you know Canadian investors value Canadian companies, and it's just because we don't have a mature ecosystem. And like I come, you know, we're in Calgary. Calgary is an energy town. There's lots of money here, but they made their money in oil and gas. Yeah,
0: they're not. they
1: they're not, money in they made,
0: the, they made their money where they were comfortable making their money, yeah. and it worked. And it exactly. worked over and over and over again for yeah. many years.
1: So now, if you want to do something different and and you don't have as much familiarity with the space, you, you the way you do that is to mitigate your own risk. You know, and it makes sense. It makes sense. But to get a flywheel of an ecosystem or a tech ecosystem moving, um, it takes a lot of inputs for a while to, to get that happening. And if you look at the history of some of the, if you look at the history of some of the um, kind of winners in Canada, you know, of Canadian tech, um, and, and some of the great companies that were started by Canadians, but not here. It's interesting to see that that the early stage of raising money was a challenge. I didn't have any, other, you know, I didn't I didn't consider any other options. My my life my life is in Calgary. My, my family's in Calgary. My daughter's here, you know. So I was going to build this business here. And we found we found support from some early investors, you know, typically from oil and gas, you know, money.
0: And were these just curious just personal relationships that you had or did you go out and knock off I somebody? didn't I didn't know anybody.
1: Okay. I still don't know. I still don't know. Anybody buddy <laughs> you know, people talk to me like i am I, I know something about the ecosystem here in calgary i've learned a little bit but i still feel on the outside of whatever that is hmm. um
0: I'm curious. is that a choice or is it just the way it, it is
1: not a choice no no i'm just been i've just been heads down trying to build a business
0: yeah the, the head down head down ass up yeah. Which, is, which is a little bit of the Canadian way, or I would say certainly the yeah. Alberta way. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I haven't spent a lot of time networking in the traditional sense. You know, I've met a lot of people. I've met a lot of town people. I've gotten a lot of help, you know. Um, but it's 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 really, it's been, we, we just decided that we had a crazy idea and that we were going to build it and make it work. And... You know, we pursued pursued a bunch of government programs, but we didn't necessarily chase our tail around uh, an ecosystem kind of model. When antibiotics didn't spin out of an ecosystem, we we spun out of. You know, I'll say this again. You know, either either we were brave or stupid. It depends on who you talk to. And thankfully, and and this is the thing that you know some of, some of my some of my learnings is. I sit in rooms with people that think, you know, often that that have been very financially successful and think it's because they're really smart. And I know I'm there because I'm really lucky and they probably are too. Timing is what makes a business successful. Um, The right idea at the wrong time.
0: Becomes the wrong idea real quick.
1: Yeah. Whereas, you know, we were fortunate enough that this crazy idea met with a dramatic shift in, in the way we all behave And so we were very fortunate with the timing aspect of it. And as we evolve and learn through this, we're seeing other opportunities to deliver more value. And it's interesting when you, when you think about that there's these big problems to be solved. And then you realize that there's no reason that we can't be the ones that solve them. And that's, that's been an interesting journey and like, why us? And then you look around and it's not it's not saying, hey, we're great. It's saying, well, no one else is, and I think we're actually in the best position to do it. So let's try. And so that's why we've been approaching these bigger problems of, of basically distributed, democratized, networked supply chain. Which, because we have a platform that allows us to bring all the technology partners together to deliver value, um, we're, we're leaning into that.
0: What's interesting also when you're everybody's like, whose who's competition are you? Cuz it sounds like you're a lot of people's compliment. So that's an interesting paradigm that allows for acceleration of a business. Who yeah, who's who's annoyed that you exist? So sorry, that's maybe a weird question. No,
1: it's not a weird question. Um, there's other technology companies out there in the same space. Okay. Now, but what I'll say is that space is way 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 bigger than any one of us could ever
0: begin to solve. So the opportunity far outscales the, 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 the drops that are trying to fill
1: I think the more, the more of us there are trying to solve the problem, the better it will be for everybody.
0: Because the scale scale of the problems is so massive and and global. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the interesting part is that our competition isn't coming out of the traditional places in, in, in the supply chain industry. Our competition is coming out of other companies like ourselves.
0: Uh, I think that's, yeah, when, that's you've got, when, you, when you've got, I, has, I was, I had the uh, CTO of uh, uh, TC energy on the other day and he said, Tyler, you know, if you think about the cab companies sat around trying to be better cab companies, Uber sat around trying to solve a different problem. He goes, as an energy company, if we just keep talking about energy the always the way we did we'll get left behind unless we just start thinking about energy from a whole different paradigm. And it's just a refreshing moment, especially to hear it from that sector. And to go, like, we need to reframe even the question we're even asking. So it kind of makes sense that it's almost not coming out of the supply chain. If you play that storyline right. out.
1: Well, it's actually interesting that you got that from someone within an industry. Is I, I have said, I've been asked to speak on innovation a few times. And I, I started out I started out with the, the, the most uncomfortable statement that I'm going to make is that experts can innovate. And experts can optimize, but they can't innovate. And it's because looking at the same problem with the same education from the same perspective with the same people for the same number of years, how do you see something new? So in the supply chain industry, it's been dominated by some really massive global multinational players for a long time. And But the innovation is coming out of like startups like ourselves. You know, there's, there's a great company out of France that's delivering a really, really cool solution. There's a company out of Israel delivering a really, really cool solution. There's us. There's a, 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 small, a smaller company in the U.S., you know, and these are not coming from the big kids in Germany or Japan. And that's the fascinating part. And, it's, and it is solely due to the fact that supply chain got a little more sexy. And, and it was the next stage, you know, maybe really easy to buy something, you know, and certainly manufacturing things are getting easier, but how do we get it to people? So, yeah, we still,
0: that's still a point A and a point B with a huge, often global gap in between. Yeah, and it,
1: and it hasn't been sexy enough for anyone to think about. way you start throwing robots into a warehouse and it starts getting it
0: starts getting a little... Well, a little, a little oh, the, the, cool, the cool factor goes up, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and I'm Curious, and we, those, those, those different groups that you mentioned, do you guys collaborate with each other? Like, is there that shared, like, this is a big enough problem or is there still a little bit of, like, you get out of my sandbox and I'll get out of yours kind of thing?
1: Well, startups don't generally collaborate.
0: Yeah. I was curious. <laughs> curious. Um, so it you, you, you sounded a little bit altruistic with this. We're all solving the big problem. So, you know, we're going to collaborate. Now screw that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to stick, to, we're going to stay inside our own walls.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that is we're actually trying to develop well beyond our hardware platform into a, a hopefully global, um, recognized, you know, platform of communication and and data sharing. Um, you know, using standardized data schema for for supply chain and allowing people to plug into different parts of this, um, but while protecting and encouraging the relationship between a retailer and his customer and. So like the retailers
0: losing, losing the relationship with the customer. That's one of the biggest negative side effects of this whole thing. Right. You know, they're not your customer anymore and that's a scary no, proposition.
1: They're, they're fulfilled by,
0: yeah. you know, yes. they're,
1: and, and you, you might get the postal code to where the package was shipped, but you don't have any other information. So it's that data side that actually creates a huge advantage. Now there's no one retailer that can match the size of, of Amazon. Now, you know, Walmart, it would be the closest and they're not even close when it comes to the amount of data that are being gathered on consumer Mm -hmm. behavior. And so the only solution, you know, from our perspective is aggregation. And aggregation worked for a very, very long time. still does. Um, I'm pretty sure when you go shopping, you make a decision to go to the shopping mall. Because... Everything you need is in one place and there's a sharing and an aggregation of that experience which allows you to have a bunch of different relationships with different retailers without a bunch of driving around.
0: Well, and it used to be just going to the mall, that was the one experience. And then you could again, you had had the core experience, then you had all the secondary experiences of the vendors around the outside. Yeah, it's interesting when you think about going to the mall used to be part of the thing. (laughs) Well, it still is.
1: Now, yep. bricks, yeah, and retailer, bricks and mortar retail has changed, but how does a brand maintain a relationship with its consumer? Yeah, through you know, Nike pulled out of of Amazon. Um, Birkenstock, great story, of because of, brand still has value. And we're, we're, as you know, early in our chat before we started recording, we were talking about tribalism. And I don't want to necessarily have to pick from, you know, 187,000 options for the, for the Allen wrench I need.
0: For, for, for those of us not on video, that was an excellent addition of a prop to the, to the, to the phone call that you just pulled out an
1: Allen wrench. Yeah. It
0: goes with with the guitar you have behind you.
1: It it adjusts, it adjusts the truss rod on my bass. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't need 187,000 options. I need, my, my retailers that I identify with um, and I vote with my money of where I'd like to spend it. And I want them to understand me because from a brand point of view, they already seem to, and I want to align myself with those brands and I want higher customer service. I want better curation. I want a better or well, fewer choices, but choices that are already tailored to me as a consumer.
0: Yeah. Less, and, less, less options but the options i have are more connected to who i am and what i value yeah and that
1: just has to do with you know if you shop if you shop and we can just pick a couple stores um if you shop at holt renfrew for your menswear or you shop at mark's work warehouse chances are you're a bit of a different consumer and i'm not talking socioeconomically here i'm just I, I'm just talking preference,
0: that, what you like, what you don't like. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And and having your retailers understand, you know, you means that you'll get better, you'll get better service, better product curation, better relationship. And I believe that's really important still. I don't care which can of Campbell's mushroom soup I get, but I am a little picky about my shoes and I don't but mean
0: it. But you did say Campbell's. You did say Campbell's. I'm just gonna bust you a little bit <laughs> right. I, don't right. I don't care about which Campbell's mushroom soup. Fair I get. enough.
1: Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, there's it is interesting brand,
0: but it's, well, apparently some- we do, Scott. We do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have Campbell's in the cupboard I, I as well. I
1: don't care which can which type of mushroom soup I get, because there's some yeah, that's a good yeah.
0: one. um <laughs> Right. I couldn't I couldn't let that one slide by. Thank you. It's uh, <laughs>
1: So there's, there's big advantages through the aggregation of data and services and promoting a retailer's relationship with their consumer. And I think one of the biggest opportunities out there is to find an aggregated platform to democratize supply chain. Um, so, so,
0: so, so that those individual connections can be put back into place versus versus the, 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 who, the who will not be mentioned now.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and if we can foster and encourage those relationships – uh, and But the only way to actually create a a competitive model is through aggregation. Let's put a bunch of those retailers together on a platform that sits behind the scenes and allows the aggregation of, of, of data and the inferences that come from that, as well as the, the aggregation and support of and network effect of, of bringing more volume into an ecosystem. Um, and that's, that's what I think the answer is. And whether it's, it's our robots or other robots, it's that network platform that's gonna deliver the biggest value in the future um, to ourselves as consumers um, in giving us, you know, lower pricing and, 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 and short delivery times and the right kind of selection um, and, and choice, you know, choice. And in the world we're in, there's a few people running away with the show and not that those aren't bad brands, but I, I think that there's a bunch of choice that will be lost and that's that doesn't need to happen.
0: Well, the, the the and the opportunity to discover and explore and the things that you know I like what I like now, but I might like something different later. But if I don't get exposed to it, how do I know? How do I evolve? If the world just keeps feeding me the same things it knows I like, that's that's dangerous. Cognitive bias is a real yeah, disease. That, that, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. But I feel it. It, it underpins here. We we knew it's we'd get a little. We'd go down some rabbit holes today. You but know,
1: about- when, when they are recommended to us very strongly. Depends on our shopping interfaces. Um, are we actually looking for opportunity? This is where I think curation becomes really important. Mm-hmm.
0: That that the the, the 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 sense of discovery. Mm-hmm. I think it's part of our DNA that is conspiring because our, our, our sense of familiarity and our sense of like, well, yeah, give me more of what I like. Those two things do compete with each other. I think like I get a I get a dopamine hit from discovering something new, or I can get it from getting my confirmation bias reassured, 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 reassured. Hmm. I get a day. I, it's easy to be addicted to both those, but I feel like the world's serving up more one than the other. Right
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Well, to hear what, to hear what you talk about for your solution to me, it just, as I'm thinking about it, just my own business brain of like, there's gotta be an economical model around it. Because if you think of what Amazon does now to provide all of that curation and, The amount of infrastructure they created to then now generate the profit and then keep all that customer data, which is part of their value of where it gives them the power. If you're going to distribute that to consumers and someone like yourself and a whole group of of companies are going to create a platform to allow that to happen, it's got to be done at a scale where having the customer data isn't your biggest value proposition. And that's an interesting, I see why you've got to aggregate all these groups together to bring that to the table or else you just can't do it. It's not financially viable. No, it's am, not, I, am I going down the right rabbit hole with that? You, know, you, you are.
1: You are. But I'll also challenge one of the things you said, and that is that, that Amazon's e-com business is profitable. Hmm. I, It's not. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Not, not every company, when you think about the competitive landscape, we all don't have massive technology businesses supporting our e-com businesses. We don't have big cloud providers and, and media providing, you know, departments generating huge amounts of revenue to subsidize our growth in the movement of atoms. Um, we also retailers, if you look you know, Amazon's considered a technology company because of this technology companies have always benefited from higher, higher multiples, of evaluation than bricks and mortar retailer. So, you take this playing field, which is a technology supported and market supported um, growth model, and as a traditional retailer trying to figure out how to compete, it's 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 impossible. You know, I think Amazon's, you know, biggest in biggest, you know value proposition and, and I'll say invention, <laughs> um, was convincing Wall Street that they never needed to make any money. And
0: that's a paradigm in the tech world unto itself that I think this is right, another episode, but whole that's the
1: difference between you're a retailer now competing with a technology company and it's a paradigm. So, so never making any money means you can take a hundred percent of your profits and roll it back in. So you actually never pay taxes, never pay dividends, right? And you're trading at a higher multiple. So your access to capital is greater. So you have more of every dollar, You retain more of every dollar and you get a higher multiple on that dollar. that allows growth. Flip that over to a retailer where, you know, you've been paying out dividends and, and, and the analysts are are hacking away at your, your, you know, enterprise value and one, one quarter at a time, you're getting attacked. (laughs) Exactly. And so how do you digitally transform? And so our thought behind it is to create the entity the technology company that can partner with retailers benefit from the advantages of being a technology company, but having the retailers benefit from the advantage of partnering with the technology company. So we can be the R and D arm. We can be the growth engine. We, but in the order, the only way to do that is at a scale that makes sense. And the only way to do that is by putting a bunch of, a bunch of them together. And so that's, that's our vision of the future. Um, And we're doing it with with our robots right now because, you know, our system has a huge advantage over other competing technology solutions. But it might not always be that way. But it's this network supply chain for each item that matches modern consumer behavior that that needs to get developed to lessen the financial costs, the time costs, and the environmental costs of, of what we all do now, which is we buy
0: stuff online and that's not going away it's only going no. to more.
1: Well, we saw we saw 5 years of growth in 90 days when covid yeah. started.
0: Yes, just by the amount of packages that show up as a city stream on my front steps I can I can do a case study of one and know that it's 100% true.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and I don't but, ha- I don't have to look far. <laughs> that, that's not changing. I don't see I don't see that going back is you know, the call that I received while we were on the phone here is is my meal kit being delivered. So, it's it's, it is a world now that we're all getting used to. And I think we've been doing this long enough during COVID and we'll consider continue to do this long enough that you're not going to see a big swing hundred percent back to the way things were before this growth in consumer adoption of digital, digital commerce. Um, now is just an acceleration. And when I talk about timing um, you know, COVID has been a global tragedy. Um, but it it certainly did validate the reasons we started this business was to rethink what supply chain of the future needs to look like. Um, And it was this event that accelerated that and allowed us to be, you know, a viable company. Like I'm super grateful. I'm not a luggage company right now. Put it that way.
0: (laughs) Yes. Or or there's the list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. So curious a little bit more. I'm, I'm really you got my brain spinning, which is great. I love it. So thank you for that, sir. <laughs> um, you think about Amazon and like the argument of like not profitable, which I appreciate the way you frame that. And but yet, I as an investor, I believe in the future because they're collecting so much data, because mm-hmm. they have so many mm-hmm. insights. Yeah. So I'm buying into this long-term data. Eventually, it'll be valuable. Eventually, it'll pay off. Oh, no, no, no. it, it is hugely valuable. Yes, uh, right.
1: just not profitable.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. The, com-
1: the competitive landscape—they've—they've—they've they've, they've created huge amounts of enterprise value, huge yes. amounts of enterprise value. But if you're trying to compete against it, yeah, you don't have this level playing field. That's all I'm saying.
0: And and, how do do you guys slide into that and create a model that's going to be appealing to, is it the size of the network and the amount of players you have involved, which is going to allow you to kind of go out to the world and investors start to go, Oh, look at these guys look over here. We're, We're going to give them as much runway as they need to build this thing out. I'd
1: say right now, you know, when I first started talking about building 3d robotics and trying to pitch the idea to local investors, I got a lot of you know side-eye thinking this dude's crazy. <laughs> um, it takes too long. It's too hard. It's too complicated. It won't work. And thankfully, they were wrong. Thankfully. But now when we talk about the next stage, it's a much bigger idea that's going to take a lot of capital. And it's going to yeah. take a series of proof points to get through. Um, because it's not one of those things that just build it and they will come no one invests in that you got got to prove it's going to work
0: yeah milestone after milestone to yeah. prove, prove
1: and yeah. the nice thing about it is our commercialization path right now with our product has these milestones in front of it so we're no longer now looking at selling you one piece of technology for one warehouse we're looking at you know network wide opportunities yeah. which now bring in the ai and the and the cloud and and the ml and the iot and the private network and you know all the catchphrases um,
0: uh, and, 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 just, and just the right amount of titanium just
1: the yeah, right yeah. Just the right and so right. the, the next one is is we do we do that as a capex model to one retailer which is where we're at right now or do we actually you know take the leap at one point and do a pure opex model and start bringing in multi-tenancy and that's in our roadmap but it's not tomorrow you know, I was asked, I was asked by, uh, you know, Satya Nadella from Microsoft, how much it would cost to do North America. <laughs> and and I, I told him, you know, it's about five, five billion. He goes, Oh, that's cheaper than a data center.
0: Um, all, it, life's about perspectives. And it's, got- <laughs> it's
1: about perspectives. You're right. So who are you talking to? You know, who are you talking to and what is, what is your scope and scale? And, and when, whereas, you know, I talked, I talked to, you know, some of my early stage investors and I say, we need 5 billion and they're, 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 you know, their, their sphincters clench up and they get a
0: free yeah, yeah. If they're not even in the room still, the time you finish the sentence.
1: Exactly. So there's, there's this management of ideas and growth and validation that needs to happen. Um, but we've got a North Star and thankfully our path between here and that North Star encompasses everything we need to do in the next 24 months. Uh, anyway. And so there's not a big pivot for us coming. It's just increasing our, our value proposition by creating you know, data acquisition tools and transparency. And then it's a question of just combining that together into a unique business model or a different business model in the future um, when when we have the traction to do so.
0: And, and allow the investors to come along and become more comfortable. And then I'm assuming at this point you're attracting different eyes from kind of all over the world, or is it still pretty North American-wise when you're thinking investor?
1: Um, I talked with a, a a prince from the Middle East last week. Uh, Interesting.
0: <laughs>
1: consumer changing consumer behavior is a global problem. Yeah. Period. It's not a North American problem. Um, the growing consumer class in 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 Asia is twelve times the opportunity of North America. Um, Europe is ahead of us in North America. They've already went through one phase of automation. They're going to need to re-automate. But when we think about the opportunity, we don't think about just Canada or or the U.S. The, The analogy I like to share with people is if we think about the greatest leaps forward in supply chain efficiency, they all came through creating a standardized interface for automation. I'll give you an example. Kmart pushed the UPC code or the barcode. Um, I turned 50 here in a couple months. So that gives you kind of a, a time frame on, on my childhood. But I remember watching guys put individual price tickets on every can in the grocery store.
0: Yeah, with the gun. Yep. <laughs>
1: and they don't do that anymore. They haven't done that in a long time. <laughs> but like a barcode is useless without a barcode scanner. And I remember them push, pushing around carts with a with a desktop computer on them.
0: Yeah, with a, with a piece of wood stuck on top yes, of the shopping cart. Yes. Articry- yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. you're taking me way back, but yeah. Yeah. I,
1: yeah. I- so, but now now you've got <laughs> Wi-Fi, laser barcode scanners, you know, connected to centralized databases. You know, so there's an ecosystem that needs to be created for that to create value and efficiency. Another example I'll give you is um, shipping containers. Once again, a standardized interface for automation. But a shipping container by itself doesn't work. You still needed the train cars that carry them, the truck trailers that carry them, the the cranes that load them, the ships that transport them. But creating that ecosystem around a standard interface for automation led to basically opening up the world for, for global manufacturing. Okay, um, that was uh, the U.S. government in the v- Vietnam War. They came up with that, but they they were the first ones that, that had a big enough pull to create the ships, the cranes, the trucks, and the containers. Oh, I
0: didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that, that was that was driven from around the yeah. Vietnam era and yeah. the need that was facilitated At, by that
1: Kmart. Kmart drove drove the barcode. They were big enough for a retailer to go back to all of their manufacturers and say, "Hey, we need you to do this." Um,
0: Somebody has the clout, right?
1: Yeah, and now let's think about something that's so kind of ubiquitous now, which is the the pallet, forty two inches by forty eight inches. You know, three 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 pieces of lumber connected by a bunch of one by sixes. Seems simple, but if you think back to any Indiana Jones movie. The warehouse and supply chain has shifted dramatically from handmade crates on single axle trucks loaded by cranes into the holds of ships, transported and piled on top of each other in warehouse buildings. But a pallet is useless without a forklift, which has no value without pallet racking. So once again, ecosystem around a standardized interface for automation. So these have been the biggest gains in supply chain efficiency. The world needs a new standard based for single items, not cases, based for an automated distribution, sortation, kidding. We got to figure out using data science, what should be in a bin, where that bin should be before it needs to be there. And so automate the, 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 movement, the, the, and the
0: prediction, movement. The predictions. So even,
1: yeah. I don't need to build a robot that can pick a banana and a sewing needle. You know, I, I just, I just need to be able to move a bin just like a shipping container gets moved, but at a smaller scale and using data science to figure out what should be in that bin and where it should be. And then driving the decision-making of the movement of that bin down to the lowest levels because trying to manage that movement from one computer system is almost impossible. So using Industry 4.0 principles to apply low-level decision-making. So every bin now becomes an IoT device connected through private network. So the roadmap ahead for us is about emulating what was done before in the past, ripping off ants, <laughs> and ripping off the biggest innovations that have happened in supply chain, which is standardization for automation. Um, and seeing if we can go put a dent in the world.
0: And the uh, big question or w- curious question, did that Prince get it? Like you said, like we know uh, the problem, but did he, did, 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 does think like using him as the, as the proverbial investor, yeah. did, he get, so, did he get it?
1: Yeah, actually he, they called us, um, if you if if you get to travel the world you get to go to places that seems rather utopian to the to the world we live in, in north america forward thinking progressive well-financed societies cultures um and you know this individual has the the really cool job of finding all the pieces to put together to build the city of the future
0: that is a pretty cool job
1: yeah and you know you're going to find you're going to find that there's a few countries that have that mandate and and that desire um, to build the city and and,
0: and, the, and the funding to put behind it.
1: Yeah, but it's a social it's a social perspective, not a capitalist one.
0: Ah, okay, which you know? is very different in our North American filter. Exactly.
1: So understanding that we have so many different customer types, so many different kind of needs, but at the end of the day, the goal is is to have a cost less time, money and, 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 environmental footprint to keep growing our consumer, you know, our consumer behavior. Um, but doing it in a way that that's, you know, supportable and sustainable into the future.
0: Well, arguably a little more inclusive than the current version, where where, 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 where that's accelerated. Like you're talking about bringing it in retail, like to, like what I really heard, just the word network. Even it's a much more of an inclusive world where the all this choice and different retailer perspectives can be now at a level playing field, where quickly they're not at a level playing field right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: so it's interesting is that everybody uses the the same power grid. Everyone uses the same highway system. There's a bunch of providers that have democratized parcel post. Isn't like there's a few, you know, and every retailer uses those. Um, So we're just talking about how do we democratize, standardize and create infrastructure around supply chain that, that democratizes it and versus it being managed individually by each retailer, because each retailer does not have the volume to actually support same day next day distributed supply chain in every every major metropolitan area in in the world it's just not it's not one there's not one company that can do that
0: when you think about the quality of life that's raised because of our power grid because of our highway system because of our shared service model and how that raised the level of living for all of us thinking about it this way, from a business perspective, it, it, it raises, it raises the quality of life, arguably from everyone now in the ecosystem versus having some real big winners and a lot of like strong, I'm not going to say losers, but a lot of people that are struggling to even stay in the game.
1: Oh, exactly. Um, so if you think about, I've often used cell phone as we travel around, we get, you know, continuous service, no matter where we go because there's a ecosystem there to support that movement. You know, all the transactions are behind the scenes. We're not limited to single carrier, you know, stuff like that. It's democratized, you know, cellular coverage. And that's, that's kind of the model. I think what, what it means though, is there's not enough room to have 110 different cell tower providers. Um, there has to be an aggregation to make it supportable to support that capital. Somebody
0: has the backbone, and then other people get to use it.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's the idea. How many how many different people can use an ecosystem that's optimized for modern consumer behavior? And that's that's the direction that you know we'd like to go. But the other part of that too is by by moving by moving the supply chain in market, we're not only lessening the time consumer, we're opening up. Um, jobs on public transportation. We can revitalize what have become obsolete real estate. I don't need a million and a half square feet. I need 50,000, hundred thousand square feet, three or four places in a city. Um, you know, it's closer, closer to the consumer, but also closer to the people for the jobs. And we're actually not having to build a new million and a half square feet out the turnpike someplace. We can, we can repurpose, you know, here in Calgary, we can go find 50,000, 100,000 square feet in Inglewood in an older building, yeah. and actually use the advantage of our technology to keep from having to constantly be building bigger, better by just creating efficiency in, in, in what now is, in a lot of cases, obsolete real estate.
0: So ah, that's interesting. I, I, like to re, I like the repurpose, reuse kind of concept around yeah. that as well. What's something we, new inside, inside something old to make something better?
1: Yeah. What are we going to do with every old Sears store? <laughs> you know, so yeah. So there's rather than building new, building new. How do we how do we rethink the whole model? And so, they like said naively or bravely, we are are forging ahead into the future.
0: Well, I think you need a little bit of both to be a successful entrepreneur, don't you not? <laughs> um, we do all yeah, I don't know. I, I think sometimes it's an interesting formula. That's,
1: that, that, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh,
0: hey, I'm going to ask you what this seems like. We've got too philosophical to even ask the question I'm going to ask, but how is access to talent for you in town? Because you're doing big things, big thinking. How has that been? I'm sure you get asked that all the time, but I could not ask it.
1: <laughs> access to talent. Um, we all want the same people.
0: Yes, that's, yes. Uh, when it was an oil and gas boom, we all wanted the same, yeah, we all wanted not, same oil and gas people and now we all enough, want the same ticker.
1: There's not enough of those people and having created a name for ourselves now, we're certainly a target. We're certainly a target of every recruiter.
0: Every headhunter out there is now yeah. going on your LinkedIn, your LinkedIn page. So yeah. now.
1: So it's up to us as an organization to make sure that what we're doing is really attractive to the best talent. So, you know, recently we brought in some executive talent out of the U S but from those global multinational players, right? you know um, we've just done a bunch of changes on our compensation model internally because to be,
0: to be more, to create a bigger, stronger value.
1: The other thing I think we need to do if we talk about a tech ecosystem is if I were to start this company in the Valley or Boston, the the conversation on cash comp compensation would be the last conversation it would be a conversation yeah. on equity and options
0: yeah um, what's, the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the what's my longer game
1: yeah whereas you know calgary doesn't have that history so the value yep. the value of equity in a technology startup does isn't perceived as value yet because there hasn't been enough success stories to drive it so there's an education yeah. piece. There's certainly an education piece. Like we had a we had a young engineer leave us for another opportunity, you know, cool opportunity. I'm super stoked for her, but you know, and when I mentioned to her that, you know, and I can't guarantee any pricing, but I am um, that her equity options were worth a quarter of a million bucks. It's like, that wasn't even part of the consideration. It seemed with Moot mm. because
0: oh, that's interesting,
1: you know, so it's, making sure that we are compensating those people with what they value is a learning is a learning that we've had. But the other thing that's opened up for us now is you and I are working from home right now, right? It doesn't matter what time it is. So we're not just looking now for talent distance market. No, that's, Mm -hmm. that has leveled
0: that that one out really quick.
1: But I will say that Google's also not looking for talent just in the valley. Mm -hmm. Microsoft not looking for talent just in just in Seattle. So we're now not just on a Calgary competitive scale. We have to be a globally competitive
0: scale. Uh, they the quickly the two sides of that coin. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. So finding really, really talented people to build robots and the future of connected network supply chain um, isn't quite as simple as finding a welder. Yep. We've hired a few and they're great. Um, but it's, it's in this job market, it's, it's a different, it's a bit of a different monkey and we're having to kind of rethink what the future of work looks like, what the future, you know, what, what value does do people have working at antibiotics and, you know, the opportunity to put a dent in the world is a motivation to some, Yep. your, your cash comp is a motivation to others and, and the equity opportunity and, and, and just doing some really cool shit, you know?
0: Yeah. Yes, beyond be purpose, beyond comp, it's like yeah, Does this get you? Do you get excited about this thing? Being on the bleeding like-
1: edge, being on the bleeding edge of, of putting all of those catchphrases together into something that actually does something.
0: <laughs> now that's uh, yeah. When you think about what attracts people, and I, it's, it's a new perspective that you've given of. I know lots of people in oil and gas that would go to the junior, write it up, get some sh- some, some stock options, boom, make a win. You, I talk to people in other markets that part of their comp or part of their goal is like, I want to get my get on this train and get this next exit. But if you think about Calgary, there hasn't really been that tech. There's been a few. We've had Benevity recently, Solium, there's a few. But you don't have a whole culture that's used to that being part of the mindset of like, I'm going to join this company, work there for six years, and then really be able to benefit from the exit because of the you know piece of the action that I had. But there's a whole generation that doesn't even know that's on their radar, right?
1: Right. Bene- Benevity and Solium were each a decade. Yes. Yeah. Right, so years. That's, that's a long that's a long time for someone to hold it. Yeah, it,
0: it, it's it becomes mythical, right? It's not. Yeah. It's, it's not a real, it's not a real thing.
1: Yeah, and then the people that are still there, twelve years later, were not the people at the very very beginning. Yeah, and it's people yeah. at the very beginning have the biggest upside. But how long can you keep people engaged, and how long can can they still feel productive? So this this path of liquidity is, is a constant conversation. Um, but it, it, it's something that it's not that I don't want it. Like I, I don't get paid very much on a cash comp point of view or like all of my values in, in, in my equity. Um, but how do we, how do we realize that value without selling ourselves short?
0: Well, that, if that becomes the target, then it really can it can really cloud over the bigger, higher order goal that you're trying to focus on. Like, it can they're t- they're two different they're two different like milestones, right?
1: Oh yeah, and, and so like you know a win in Canada is a is a you know a ten to fifty million dollar exit. That's mm-hmm. huge, and you can you know you can achieve that in a couple of years um, if you've got the right idea and the right timing. Um, but if you want to build a great business, there's a longer road ahead. Yeah. So trying to navigate that is. That's interesting. And that's one of the bigger challenges. And I guess the question is, you know, why are we doing this? You know, some people, some people that I started this business and we're looking for the one or two year kind of journey. Yep. You know, we're at four and a half and I'm looking down the pipe of at least another two and a half myself for sure. Um, but, you know, is about building a great business in Canada, not, not just having an exit, you know, for a few people. And well, and if
0: anything's going to change our world, it's going to be companies that maybe build here, stay here, grow here. Like this whole boom, build, sell, exit, disappear. Yeah. You don't get that flywheel that you talked about because it, it all disappears and goes south or goes. Oh, well, yeah,
1: and I've already seen I've already seen from Atabotics ecosystem. There's two new companies started, and you know a couple of people have gone to to join early stage startups. And so we're it's growing, it's growing. Yeah. You know? and that's that's important. That's what creates an ecosystem. But you got to stay here to do it.
0: Yes. That's our new, that's the, that's the new future that we need for that to to take hold. You know, I love,
1: I love sharing the story of Garrett camp. Familiar? I'm not. Okay. So Garrett camp, super, super smart, Um, educated computer science at UC master's degree, Um, started a software platform that was growing, couldn't find funding. Uh, Went down to the Valley After three years of trying to make a go here at Calgary, went down the valley, found funding right away. That company took off, and then he started his next venture. um, And he co founded Uber. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, That is born, bred talent and ideas that to make a go at it, it had to leave.
0: Okay, I know the story. I didn't know his name. Now, yeah. Now i now I, now I know.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that that that's a cautionary tale. Is that um, hmm. the flywheel and the ecosystem is as much my responsibility as it is the investor's responsibility. Yeah. Back back to the money. And, back to the- but it's also it's also I'll say uh, a community responsibility, and this is where the government can step in. Um, but I also think the piece missing and, you know, in a previous life I used to build, build things. So I've always been fascinated by architecture and we have now in Calgary, you know, works by world class architects, you know, the bow, you know, mm-hmm. foster and partners, um, peace bridge by Santiago Calatrava. um, and they partnered with local firms to, to to put these things. And now these, these have become icons of our city Mm -hmm. and I've been pushing for when we talk about creating an ecosystem, can we bring in those world-class tech investors, partner them with Calgary's investment community? And can we, rally the support to de-risk that with the local provincial and federal governments, because right now there's a mass exodus from the traditional hotspots of technology and everyone's looking for where's the next big thing. You know, I know guys from Sequoia that set up a firm in Columbus, Ohio, but there's no reason Calgary can't be that place, but entrepreneurs go where the money is. They go where they can find investment. And if we can create that kind of investment ecosystem where valuations are looked at globally and not through a Canadian perspective, but we, we access the capital that has been made by successful entrepreneurs in the city to reinvest in, 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 in these projects and then use you know, some of the government programs to help de-risk that then I think we'd be well onto the right track of, of starting to get that flywheel spinning a little faster.
0: I really like the idea of bringing in an outside, you know, experienced, seasoned investor to almost be blunt, lead by example. To show, like, hey, like, and to then really rally that investor ecosystem to get a lot more comfortable. Because, well, geez, if they're doing it and we know their track record, well, I guess maybe, maybe it's a little bit safer than I thought.
1: They're bringing a global to, player, bringing
0: exactly. a global, a global filter to evaluations, which I really like that, not the Canadian filter, exactly. aka beating, beating the shit out of startups. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, let be blind. You're not the first one who's mentioned it. You just mentioned it very clearly. <laughs> well,
1: and the other part of that is there is a lot of programs to start businesses, but it's hard to keep them here
0: yeah to grow the business that gap business. between like yeah incubate oh, some ideas but how do we get you into yeah, commercialization you know angel
1: seed maybe even a series money but when you get into b's and c's there's not there's not that many players there's not yeah, that not many better. players and you know we we fought off we fought off a uh, you know a takeover a takeover attempt by you know a big global multinational here during covid and our, we could have seen rip go
0: you know if you're out of the country <laughs> I appreciate the sound effects yeah it's it happened
1: so many times before yeah interesting we get them to a certain point we start them we seed them we water them for a bit and then like oh you're on your own and then you know they just get swallowed up by something big yeah and that's not that's not what creates an ecosystem
0: and that's, and like you said, there's, there is a certain cycle that that has to run to kind of get through. And then a kind of, a few of them kind of skate through and don't get getting a couple of those turtles, make it to the ocean. Like that's what I'm picturing yeah. in my mind is you're yeah. talking yeah. about. Like, we're all running like, the, like this, but those seagulls are really hungry and they, and they kind of swoop in and grab it. Mm-hmm. Like
1: smart technology had its time. Rim had its time. Shopify certainly having their time right now. You know, we've seen Solium and Benevity, you know, create that, that that global level success story, you know, I hope I hope we're one of them as, as well. And but I, I want to build a great business and understanding that building great businesses are are more challenging than starting great businesses.
0: <laughs> nah it's good. You dropped some pearls today. Scott, you have a you have a little mini mic drops through this whole episode. It's good. <laughs> Uh, Okay, I think I'm going to pin it there because I think we and I can, that was a really interesting perspective today. I think just the right amount of reality and hard hitting facts, but also some philosophy on what you guys are about. And it gave me certainly a perspective because I'll be honest, I've heard about you because I live in Calgary and I'm curious and I'm involved, but I didn't really understand where you guys were heading. So I don't know if that's openly out there, but I certainly enjoyed you sharing your philosophy with us today. That was awesome. I
1: appreciate your time, man.
0: No, hey! If anybody wants to reach out, get a hold of you. I'm sure you're a busy guy. What's what's the best way? Reach out to some of your team. Check out your website. What do you recommend? Um,
1: LinkedIn. Certainly, you know, contact us at Atabotics. Um, you've got Aaron's. You've got, you yeah, know, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I got a couple uh, of your team uh, members. Yeah, we can,
1: yeah throw, uh, throw Aaron, throw Aaron's email out there happy, happy to have a conversation.
0: No, that's awesome. I really, really appreciate your time. And Again, huge kudos to what you're doing in our city, man. It's a great it's a great story, and I'm happy I can play my part to just hopefully hopefully somebody listens to that who didn't really know the depth of it, and and, and it gives them a little more faith not only in what you're doing, but that there is some really good stuff going on in this city, but you just might not know about it because sometimes Calgarians are still pretty not – we're not great at, at telling our stories as much as we need to, which I think is another part of the whole letting the world know we, we're we here, <laughs> and we're not just a, an old energy story. Well, it's very
1: I, I, I've said this before, and I'll say this, you know, just kind of wrap things up, is the the energy in this, in this province isn't in the ground. It's in its people. And I'm just, I'm fortunate enough that I had a crazy enough idea that gave them something really cool to work on. So.
0: That is awesome. Thank you, sir. That is a, that is a very, that's an inspiring place to leave it. Thanks so much for your time, Scott. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Stay safe. Wash your hands. Okay.
0: (laughs) Right away. Bye. Bye.